Hey everyone, it's me, Cameron Boozer Jamari, your host, best friend. I just want to let you know that there's no need to worry. Swing the Small Stuff will be back with regular episodes pretty soon. Until then, I actually wanted to share an episode I recently got to guest on from one of my favorite other podcasts, the Retrospectives Podcast. Uh, For those of you who don't know, it is a really fun gaming podcast, and it has to do with exploring classic games through a modern lens. I wanted to share this episode A, because I got to be on their show and I think they're awesome, but B, because I think they make all-around great content, and if I can introduce more people to them, I really hope that you guys will go and check them out while you're also listening to my stuff. Uh, A quick word of warning, though, I know we try to keep it fun, wholesome, and clean here, but they do like to curse, so there, you've been warned. Anyway, enjoy this episode of the Retrospectives Podcast. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode 23 of the Retrospectives podcast. My name is Patrick Arthur, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, James Sterlings. How are you going, James? Yeah, I'm doing pretty good, thanks. Yourself? You just came back from uh, overseas, didn't you? Yeah, just come back from New Zealand, which uh, for our American listeners is just across the Tasman Sea to the east of Australia, and uh, it was absolutely gorgeous. Uh, it's somewhat disappointing to be back in Brisbane very flat by comparison. But uh, today is a special episode because for the first time ever, James, we are joined by an additional guest. It's not just us two. We are joined by Cameron Buzar-Jomeri from the Sweating the Small Stuff podcast. How are you going, Cameron? Pretty good. And I'm really excited to get to come on your guys' show because as some of my listeners may know, you gave me the great honor of coming onto one of our early shows to talk about some of just like the more funny, mischievous elements behind our favorite video games. So ever since like I've always liked your guys' stuff since the beginning. I've been a big fan of your work. I always think of you guys as like smoking the small stuff for video games. <laughs> so I just like I'm always I was I was really excited to get to work with you guys and come on and talk to you guys, especially about what we're gonna talk about today. But I'll save all that for later. Well, we're we're absolutely thrilled to have you here. And I think uh, I think that's accurate. James and I have got into extensive arguments about some video game minute. Especially last episode. (laughs) Last episode was good fun. We uh, got into a nice and hearty argument about uh, some graphics. But uh, before before we get into today's episode, as you said, uh, just a quick recap on what we do here on the Retrospectors podcast. Our goal each and every episode is to review a classic game of the past, uh, usually in the period from the 1990s to the early 2000s. And our goal is to go back and ask ourselves, uh, have these classics actually stood the test of time? Are they still enjoyable to play in today's climate? Is it worth your time in amongst all the modern titles to go back and play one of these old games? Will it still give you a fun experience? So with all that being said, the game we're doing this fortnight is Halo 1. Now, I'm sure there are people living under a rock who have never heard of this game. I don't know how, but a basic idea of what Halo 1 when it was first released is first released on November 15, 2001 uh, as a launch title for the original Xbox. It was made by Bungie. It was later released in 2003 for Mac and Windows. And then in 2004, Gearbox released the Custom Edition, which allowed custom maps and was overall easier to mod for PC. It was originally only multiplayer, but people figured out how to get single player in there. Uh, And it's also been released on pretty much every Xbox console as either as a remaster or as just accessible on the original Xbox. 
So uh, it wasn't actually me who picked Halo 1. Uh, when I was speaking to Cameron when I appeared on his cast a long time ago, he told me that if there was one game he wanted to talk about with us, it was Halo 1. So Cameron, why why are we doing Halo 1? What does Halo 1 mean to you? Halo 1 may be the most nostalgic experience of my life. Like the other day... <laughs> I don't remember what I was doing. I was on YouTube for whatever reason, just, you know, looking around, doing some research on something. And I just like came across a clip of like some guy breaking down how Halo like did all these subtle things that we all love. And it was like a really old video too. Like I'll have to go look up what it was. But I just remember like the moment I heard that first keynote from the intro song that plays during the menu. I was like, oh my God, like every single emotion that 2001 Cameron felt came back <laughs> in that moment. It's just such a like quintessential game for me. And the thing is, like, I bet everyone has like that one game that they were playing it, and it was like, this is why video games are wild. But it did everything intuitively, everything that like it took limitations for the Xbox's very existence and played them to its strengths. And I'm sure we're gonna get into a lot of it right now, but like that's the thing is like Halo was always a great game, but it was great in ways people probably never even noticed, in addition to all the other ways it was great. Yeah, there was a lot of subtlety there, and it, it definitely was the definitive Xbox console shooter in a lot of ways. I think you're on the money when you said it took the limitations and it made the most of them. Um, what about you, James? I, I know that uh, first-person shooters aren't really your jam, but I assume you have heard of Halo before and maybe even played it. Yeah, I've actually finished the game uh, two or three times to completion before this episode. Um, Halo 1 was a game that I remember seeing in the store and always wanting. And then one day a friend of mine and I were in, you know, like a game store in my local town and we decided to go halvesies on a copy, on a boxed PC copy of the game and we, you know, played it for hours in my bedroom. Um, you know, when I was like, oh, I would have been like 14 at the time. Um, and I have some, you know, pretty fond memories of it because of that. So I was kind of excited to jump into it maybe more than 10 years later to see if uh, it still holds up. So unlike you two, I don't think I've ever played the entirety of Halo 1 back to back. I never owned an Xbox and I never owned it on PC but I have spent countless hours playing Halo in bits and pieces at friends' places over the years. So even though I don't, haven't ever experienced it in one big long chunk, I feel like if you put all the bits and pieces I've put played Halo together, it's probably at least 50 hours. So yeah. it sounds like we're all pretty, pretty familiar with the base material. I think most people are. It's like the definitive Xbox game, right? Like this was the game you bought the Xbox to own. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure, I, did, did you guys play the multiplayer much? I know I played a lot of multiplayer. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Well, you know, back in the day, I only had an awful dial-up interconnect connection, so uh, <laughs> actually connecting to a game was impossible for me. So, you know, I never actually got to have that experience. We did, however, install the game on my school's network <laughs> um, and play it over LAN when the teachers weren't looking. So that was a those are some good memories. Actually, for me, one of the best things is um when it comes to the multiplayer. That was one of the first times I was actually also. It was the first time I was introduced to like real multiplayer and at the same time like modded multiplayer. 
where mm-hmm. people, especially in the PC version, there was like um you could have guns shoot other things than bullets. Yes. And so there was one where you would charge up the plasma pistol and run around. And when you shot the plasma pistol off, it didn't shoot a plasma pistol around. It it just spawned a tank. <laughs> and so like and so the tank, like the, the entire point of the multiplayer suddenly became trying to crush each other with these tanks. <laughs> That's Power excellent. Body. So um we should probably get through the housekeeping before we get into the discussion of the actual game. There are a million ways to play Halo, so I just thought I would explain how I played it and then you guys can share. So I was playing on the Custom Edition, which is the Gearbox Mod 1. In order to get it running up to scratch, I had to do a bunch of little things. I won't explain how to do that. Do it. I'll put it in the show notes. But there's a several things you need to do, including installing, you know, downloading the map separately, installing a couple of UI files, some other rubbish in order to get the game running smoothly at, you know, 144 hertz in widescreen with proper field of view. And uh, I played on legendary difficulty because I'm, of course, a masochist when it comes to uh, FPS games and I always want to challenge myself. Uh, What about you, Cameron? How did you play this game? Sorry? Uh, What difficulty did you play Halo on? All of them. All the time. Always. Uh, so you so you've tried all the difficulties. I've beaten it on legendary, I've beaten it on easy, I've beaten it on normal, I've beaten it on hard, and I've beaten it on co-op and all those as well. Like I have played Combat Evolved so many times, I'm pretty sure I can I'm like closing my eyes and I can see almost every single map in my brain. <laughs> I um I just played the game on heroic. Um the last uh, few times we've done shooters i've learned the hard way that i have a much worse time with them if i try to go for the hardest difficulty i guess even in um when we did call of duty i only tried the second hardest difficulty and had a pretty rough time but i played heroic and i um i think it was pretty a pretty good balance for myself personally so i had a good time with it okay so i think that's all our housekeeping after the way so now we get into we get to get into the good stuff which is of course the discussion And uh, normally the way we do this, Cameron, is that whoever suggested the game gets to start the discussion in any area they wish. So, Cameron, what would you like to talk about Halo 1 first? Man, you put me on the spot so hard because there's so many things. But I think the, (laughs) the, the quintessential thing about Halo is obviously the first FPS that had like really intuitive controls, which was weird to think about because when Microsoft dropped the Xbox, they're like, you're going to be able to play it like it's like a gaming PC. They're trying to like pitch as a gaming PC, not as a console, because consoles like they've been around for a while, but like no one had seen like, oh man, this is like a gaming PC that is a console. And so Halo was touted as this, and it was the first time they had to really think about like, how do I make FPS controls? How do I make graphics engines? How do I store the data? How do I do all these things? So I think one of the best places to start is if you want. Maybe the game mechanics or just like the single player campaign and how those two play together. It's funny that you bring up controls. And now that you mentioned that Halo's controls were specifically designed for the Xbox, it makes a lot of sense as to why I was having so many frustrations trying to bind my controls on PC. Because now it, you know, it kind of jumps out to me that this was the secondary um, platform for it. You know, the controls of Halo 1 were designed with the Xbox in mind. I actually found that. Mm when i was playing it on pc a lot of the controls like the defaults just made no sense like you don't have access to a lot of the um you know modern day 
conveniences of binding change weapon to your scroll wheel and the movement was a bit janky grenades and melee were all over the place on the keyboard um it was i spent a good like half hour just rebinding on my keys and trying to get it usable i think um zoom in was actually bound to pressing the scroll wheel down to begin with i found that a bit janky so something you have to actually remember is this was intended for the controller. Like this was really yeah, the first yeah. time we were trying to make like before this a dual stick controller was basically two Nintendo 64 controllers plugged into a game of GoldenEye and it felt janky as hell. <laughs> and like because you went from having like now you have six handles, two joysticks, a bunch of triggers. Like there's too much going on. So Xbox was like, what is what are we building that someone holds in their hands and they intuitively know this is how I move, this is how I look, and these buttons are how I interact with the world or check my inventory. And because, like, you didn't have a keyboard, they had to deviate from, um, if you remember other games like Half-Life, yes. where you have every freaking gun and you can just, like, all right, I'm going to run in here with my pistol and I'm going to pull out my crazy gun that shoots through walls. I'm going to pull out my crowbar and then I'm going to pull out my shotgun. And, like, you, you have all those weapons. Halo was, like... We don't have an inventory system that you can like quickly jump between in this FPS. So we're not gonna we're not gonna bother with that. You get the two guns and you're going to figure out how you're gonna deal with the situation with these two guns. I think that two gun system is in a lot of ways one of it's one of Halo's defining features, right? Because even if you look at uh, FPS games on consoles beforehand, like you know, Goldeneye and games like that, they didn't limit you to two guns. And I think that the two-weapon limit really forms a foundation for a lot of the gameplay in the game. Each weapon, I would say, has a strength and a weakness. Yes. Um, hmm. For example, mm -hmm. the Covenant enemy you fight, uh, which are your primary enemy for the first half of the game, the elites have shields. Shields are strong against human weapons, but they're weak to the plasma weapons that the Covenant wield. But once the shields are broken, the uh, human weapons are a lot more effective at them. The pistol can take out an elite with a single headshot uh, once their shield is broken. But because you can only ever have two weapons at once, if you only have two human weapons, you might struggle against Covenant in that situation. If you have two plasma weapons, well, you might be good at breaking down shields, but actually securing the kill is quite difficult. So they took this two-weapon limit that was necessary in a lot of ways for the game to be free-flowing and comfortable to use on a controller, and they kind of built the gameplay up out of that limitation. Yeah, I agree. I actually think that the majority of the um, interesting gameplay in Halo comes from the wide variety of weapons that have distinct strengths and weaknesses matched up against a wide variety of enemies that also, you know, have their strengths and weaknesses and you're kind of balancing the strengths of the weapons you're carrying with what you're currently fighting and trying to, you know, on the fly pick up the right guns and apply them to the right enemies. Um, I think that is the real core of the game. Um, like a lot of shooters like Call of Duty and, you know, a Counter-Strike, you're just fighting against guys with different guns in halo you're fighting against the covenant which is you know 
um, a bunch of different alien races who have come together to form a, a union of sorts. And so the kinds of enemies you fight are really varied in, you know, body shape and the weapons they use, um, shields and vehicles. And I think this is what really makes the game stand out against a lot of you know modern day shooters actually you you brought up something interesting which is vehicles because this game did an excellent job of vehicles and again they were limited to like you just have the controller which in a weird way worked to its advantage because like the controller was able to switch amazingly between i'm like now controlling the guy and i know the controls are going to do this to i'm now controlling a tank or a warthog or whatever and i know the controls are going to be like this yeah i thought um the vehicle sections did a good job of like mixing up the gameplay there weren't so many that it got kind of annoying but there were just enough um that i found myself really engaged every time they popped up and for the most part i think they actually control really intuitively yeah the um the the best levels were the ones where you got to move between being on foot and then moving into vehicles uh the levels where you were just on foot the entire mission tended to be a bit weaker um just returning to the essential gameplay james you brought up um call of duty before and and I guess the way I would typify Halo's gameplay is different from Call of Duty, but also different from, you know, the classic FPSs, stuff like Doom and Quake. Yep. Where I think that a game like Call of Duty is primarily about aim and your ability to aim well, I think a game like Doom or Quake is about your ability to position yourself perfectly. To me, the essence of playing Halo successfully is your ability to manage small tactical situations and execute on them like you have to keep coming up with these miniature tactical operations and then try and execute them successfully because perfect positioning doesn't save you because your um because your shield takes five seconds to recharge and perfect aim does basically nothing in the face of how tanky the enemies are with the shields you really need to keep coming up with plans to effectively deal with the puzzles in front of you. Yeah, I will say that, um, you know, as I've discussed before, I'm not the best at shooters, and I generally find the least engaging part of first-person shooters to be the actual aiming and quick shots and that kind of thing. I'm not super dexterous with my mouse. Um, and Halo really de-emphasizes precise aim in favor of lots of little tactical decisions, like you said, which I really enjoyed, actually. Um, every room, every set of enemies, you kind of need to reevaluate, look at the guns you're carrying, see if there's something better on the ground, which, you know, kind of angle you want to take the attack from, which enemy you want to take out first. And I, I kind of liked that gameplay as opposed to the really, like, fast twitch shootering of Call of Duty or the purely positional gameplay of, like, Quake or Doom that we did previously. Actually, if I can jump in, like, one of the things that was really novel about Halo was the fact that they had blended a health system and a shield system. Yes. Because up until then, like, yeah, like, a lot of games had, like, you had HP and you might have to run around and get certain HP packs or whatever. In other games, they had something like a shield system, but this was nice because, like, if you were a newer player and you had no freaking clue what you were doing, your your shields would come back. You kind of had this pillow to get creative with what you're going to do and really kind of like it's halo is one of those games that like it's intuitive that you want to experiment with what you're going to do next and it rewards you for it like you're only going to have the two guns so you know try out different guns try out different combos 
and you have shields. You can afford to take this, but you can't afford to take too much damage because you only have so much health and you're only going to run across a health pack maybe once or twice during an entire mission. I will say, and I was playing on Legendary, this game kicked my ass way, way more than I was expecting. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I think really? that... Yeah, I think that going in, I was really expecting my traditional FPS skills to save me. Because the thing is, I I am not an expert at Halo. I was playing at friends' houses, you know, on the on the couch playing co-op. I'm more of a Twitch Twitch shooter sort of guy. And Halo One showed me how foolish I was. You cannot <laughs> rely on good aim to win this game there was one mission the truth and reconciliation where i was in a spot where i was getting attacked by waves of enemies and the only guns i had were a plasma rifle and a plasma pistol i only had the plasma weapons and you know i was getting sniped by jackals on the rafters that i couldn't hit with my weapons and i was dying over and over and over and over Mm -hmm. because i was like i'll just shoot them in the head but you can't do that in halo And eventually, after I died, you know, 40 times, I learned how to throw grenades better. I learned how to evade enemies better. I got more patient hiding behind cover and letting my shields fully recharge. I was using the plasma pistol uh, to knock out an elite shield, then use that small moment of disorientation they get to follow it up by shooting them in the head with the plasma rifle. I had to learn how to play this game differently to other FPSs I've ever played for. And I really appreciated that experience. This was not an easy game for me to beat. And I appreciate that for it. Uh, I had to develop a different sort of set of skills and I guess knowledge tool set in order to overcome its challenges. Did you find yourself in like a flow like, I remember when I would play Legendary, it was like a distinct, like, there was like a flow of like, all right, you shot the plasma pistol. You don't have time to see if it lands. You just have to switch to your next gun because the window is so tight. Oh, and you're going to get to hit this guy that you just like, you you have to anticipate things. I think a flow is a good way to describe it. But overall, I think I was playing fairly cautiously on Legendary. I would be using cover and retreating a lot. Eventually, a lot of the time what I was doing was I would take out the grunts first, then I would use my plasma pistol to take out the jackal shields, then I'd snipe the jackals, and finally I'd move on to the elites, unless I got lucky and I could get a sticky grenade on the elites. But any time I tried to rush at a group of enemies, I was mowed down in seconds. So mm-hmm. I really needed to take care and proceed with uh, with tactics. I, I couldn't just rush in there. Unlike um, a lot of kind of shooters, I think that the enemies in this game necessitate you to learn how they fight and how to fight them. Like in like Call of Duty, for example, a German soldier is a German soldier. You just shoot them in the head. But in this game, there's a bunch of <laughs> there's heaps of different enemies, and you have to fight them all in uh, very different ways, and you have to learn that over the course of the game. Which is one of the things that I um 
think makes this game so engaging because there's this learning process that Patrick mentioned that you get that even if you played thousands of hours of other shooters, you're going to be learning new things constantly while playing this campaign. Um, Cameron, did you have a favorite kind of enemy type? There's a heap of them and I found all of them to be really fun to fight. Yeah, like they were all... Uh, my favorite ones were fighting the Covenant, obviously, but I, I guess yeah. now would be a, t a good time to introduce the Flood as well, the uh, other enemies, because... Well, actually, before we jump into that, did we want to give a quick overview of the story and then, you know, a you know, spoiler warning yeah, as yeah. well? Oh, yes, 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 yes. This, yeah, is, you this said... is an important spoiler, because <laughs> I, yeah, just, I... I just introduced... For those of you who spent the last 20... Well, no, not 20, like 18 years... <laughs> living under those a rock? The last 18, <laughs> well, not living under a rock, but having no concept of the overarching plot of Halo. This, this if you're going to go play Halo 1... The second enemy class is important to like know about, but it's it's a total spoiler because I remember the first time I was introduced to them. So, well, you mentioned you're you're a big lore nut. Did you want to give us a kind of brief overview of the story? Just just big big spoilers. Big there's a big, big imagine spoilers. in your mind's eye the word uh, like a big car spoiler just showed up in front of your face. Spoilers everywhere. All right, so. In the Halo universe, and I'll keep this brief, there's basically, there are the humans, there's the Covenant, which is this group of aliens that have all come together on a religious war to like cleanse the galaxy. And then there's this mysterious shadow faction of um, Flood. And actually, weirdly enough, if anyone's familiar with StarCraft, you basically have the Terrans, the humans, you have the, uh, if you want to think of them, sort of the elite, the Covenant fits kind of into the Protoss category, and then the Zerg is like the Flood. It's this organic mass creature that, like, they take over other organisms and turn them into part of their hive mind, and the entire plot of Halo is, if anyone's familiar with Halo Reach, that leads into the events of Halo. So what happens is you, Master Chef, have gone on a cooking mission to collect <laughs> secret plans and an AI named Cortana from the operations base at the planet reach which is like a super secret military facility and as you guys were fleeing on what was supposed to be the super secret mission to actually go capture the like high command of the covenant which is nowhere in the actual lore of the halo combat evolved campaign this is like all in books that came out with <laughs> halo combat evolved stumble across this gigantic space artifact called the halo it's an entire ring world where on the inside of the ring is like a biosphere like there's plants and trees and animals and stuff inside of it and when you get there it turns out the covenant are already hanging out there and doing their evil covenant business because they are trying to figure out why this weapon exists they're trying to figure out like how to use this weapon to help in their conquest of the galaxy and cleansing the galaxy and so you land and you're like anything the covenant's doing is bad so we have to go stop them that's a good good Sorry? setup premise i guess the beginning of the game is your main ship getting attacked by covenant forces and then being forced to conduct an emergency crash landing on the planet um after which you know you kind of go on and explore to try and find what the covenant is looking for because you find out that they're looking for you know a control room of sorts on the ring um so you find this the map room and you follow the map room to the control room and then through another a, th a few other adventures on the ring um but i guess the primary and spoilers again guys big spoilers um you find out after exploring the ring that 
the ring's primary purpose is in fact um, to wipe out this third faction of alien race known as the Flood, which has actually also been kept alive on the ring for research purposes. And as Cameron mentioned before, the Flood's basically like the Zerg. They're this big biomass that seeks to replicate um, through killing other organisms and taking over their bodies throughout the universe and wipe out all sentient life, replacing it with itself. And it's unclear of how intelligent um, the Flood is, but it seems to be, from what you can tell, some sort of low-intelligent hive mind that just constantly consumes. Um, and so after releasing them across the the ring, you set out on a mission to destroy... Sorry, sorry to interrupt you there, James. Can, can we just ju- do a deep dive in on that specific mission and that story moment where you uncover the Flood? Yeah, sure. Why would you like to start? I, I just wanted to say, I think that I... Overall, I quite like this story, but I think this this mission is like the narrative highlight of the entire game. And yes. I, I loved how it all unfolds. It, it starts with Cortana telling you that where Captain Keys is going to the supposed we- weapons cache is not what he se- what it seems. It starts with you landing in like this swampy area with atmospheric swamp, uh, sorry, atmospheric fog like sweeping in. As you And as you approach this facility, you see a bunch of Covenant running away from it in fear. And curiously, there are no elites with them. You descend deeper and deeper into this facility and you start to see signs of struggle, like there are dead Covenant and humans all over the place. There are rooms that are like barricaded off and they're just filled with corpses. And you eventually get to a lone Marine who's lying, who's sitting there on the ground, shooting at you, spouting nonsense about how he won't be turned into one of them. And it finally culminates with you putting on the uh, helmet cam of a dead Marine to see what actually happened and how these actions unfolded. And I just wanted to say I I loved this entire section from a narrative perspective. I jump in and just say, like, I I, I have, like, a story for this. Mm Because, like, when I first played this game, I remember this moment vividly because it was the middle of the night. And this is the scariest stuff I had ever experienced in a video game in my life. Because, like, up until this point, it's like, all right, these are the Covenant. They're, like, wacky colors, like, yellow and purple. And they're running around shooting stuff. And, like, this is like, all right, first you land, you land in, like, a quintessentially spooky swamp. And you're like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight these Covenant because that's what I've been doing. Like, at, at this point, actually, like, you're kind of, like, really good at fighting the Covenant. You're like, all right, I guess the rest of this game's pretty much figured out for me. And then you go down into like this base and you're like, things are weird because mm-hmm. you do not see the flood. The like flood are like a background element kind of like shadowing you the whole time. And in a video game, that is impossible to do because you could be looking anywhere when like narrative moments are happening. And yet they do such a good job of like musical cues and just like weird noises and like, oh, there's something here that's like next level. And then you find that guy and it's like, it's not just like you find this guy and like you're slowly introduced to them. It's like you find this guy. And as soon as you're done watching the video of like people getting taken over by the flood, that exact, like they're called the flood for a reason. It's just a flood of mobs and creatures crashing down on you, trying to kill you. And oh my God, it was like the most terrifying, 
like I, little younger me was just like this is nuts and i need to go to bed now <laughs> i distinctly remember having a, a very similar experience when i played this for the first time um actually playing this for a second time i think that everything leading up to the floods reveal is excellent um as both of you have said um but that section where all the flood pouring in is actually pretty tame um because i found a lot of the enemies like the very first flood section poses almost no threat to the player um because it only like the little bugs everywhere and i thought that it was a bit mm. of wasn't as climactic as i remembered it being as a child they probably just did that for gameplay reasons because they introduce you to the weakest flood then the next wave that you fight are the all the melee variants the first group you fight none of mm. them have guns and it's only mm. later in the level that they start to get the guns but i agree that for something that's built up to be that intimidating getting attacked by all the little bugs you're like oh this is fine i don't know yeah. what the issue <laughs> but they I, I they i guess i wanted to have a more smooth ramp up in difficulty if they had them all those bloody rocket flood i don't know if you guys had any issues <laughs> oh my with God, they so the rocket so launcher many flood but they just kind of run up and merely range and shoot a rocket in your face. So not having to deal with that the first time you meet them is appreciated. I think the best part about seeing the flood for the first time is it finally makes sense why the um like this the battle rifle exists in the first place. Like the default gun you get in this game feels like really, really pointless for like much of the start of the game like i threw it away as often as i could so bad it's so bad it's so but bad. it's really good at cleaning up those little bugs i like the assault rifle the assault rifle and the pistol were like actually now i kind of want to also take a moment to talk about like the incredible work scoring and making the music and sounds for halo because that was the other thing that sold it is like okay this this is just a quick tangent because i know no one knows who martin o'donnell is but martin o'donnell scores halo and if you ever had a moment where you listened to the E chord of the like Halo theme and you were like, ah, oh, the nostalgia, that was Martin O'Donnell just crushing it. Music and sound is everywhere in this game. Like they did an exceptional job making everything sound like it should. When you are shooting an assault rifle, it doesn't sound like you're shooting like some machine gun in a World War II game. It's like, this is the future of machine guns. And this thing is like a chainsaw that will tear your arms off if you don't know how to control it. And like sniper rifles sound like sniper rifles rocket launchers sound like rocket launchers and then the best part is what does an alien monster sound like what are elites supposed to sound like so like when you hit them they don't <laughs> do like some weird squeak or whatever they go wah, 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 and they like do all the right noises and things that like i just like now imagine a monster alien creature should sound and then that's where the flood comes in it's like as you're starting to experience the flood you're getting this really fun like it's this unsettling like it's somewhere between a like rain stick and someone punching a meatloaf <laughs> like, there's like this trickly noise and there's a squishy noise and what's really cool about it is like there are noises that you are familiar with that you've heard from like your own gun like you're normally like only the allies only humans are shooting machine guns and shooting rocket launchers so when you hear them up until this point you're like my guys are around the corner now you're hearing this weird meatloaf rain stick sound mixed with machine gun fire and like quintessentially human noises and the context has shifted and you're like this is not good because as soon as i turn the corner i'm going to have to fight even more of these guys and i only have like two magazines left for my assault rifle and i don't even have another weapon to shoot them with and i don't know what i'm going to do 
Plot-wise, the reveal of the Flood is the major turning point of the game, and I think that the soundtrack does an excellent job of backing it up. It's a really creepy vibe it's got going on with these background chitters and crawling. You don't really know what's going on as the soundtrack kind of descends into madness as you go into the bowels of the ring. So we've been going for a little while now, um, so I'd like to share with you the track that plays during the uh, descent into the Flood Chamber. Here you go, guys. I must say that the sound the assault rifle makes is much more uh, convincingly terrifying when an enemy flood is holding it than when you are holding it. When I hear the, <laughs> the sound of that thing, I run for cover. I throw a grenade around the corner and I duck because, you know, it'll just shred through your health if you're not careful. Whereas on the other side of things, when you're using the gun, it just feels like you're shooting tissue paper at them sometimes. Yeah, Cameron, you're mad. This this assault rifle is probably the worst rifle in any game I've ever used in my entire <laughs> life. It's it the the real problem with it is its minuscule range. It's it's like an SMG range, and it's mm. hugely inaccurate. Like the cursor, it feels like it fills half your screen. So you have to be shooting at them forever to do anything. When it comes to close combat, the shotgun like is so much stronger and i i don't know a single reason you would ever voluntarily choose to have an assault rifle over the shotgun in this no definitely for clearing up the little flood i carried an assault rifle with me after the flood appeared you know semi-regularly to deal with the little ones but you know only when there was a lot of carriers oh can we talk about carriers carriers are my favorite enemy in this Mm -hmm. entire game Mm -hmm. they're just like Mm -hmm. this big fleshy meat sack filled with like fleshy pulsing eggs and when you shoot them they explode into bugs and take out any enemy in the vicinity near them, or you if you happen to be caught in the blast. And I found them so fun from a gameplay perspective, because they're essentially like suicide bombers that will kill you if you get too close. But if you're strategic, you can use these enemies to detonate them in a strategic spot and take out half of their allies. I found them really fun to play around with. Something I actually want to also talk about with the Flood is how novel they are, because the flood sprites like normally up until now you've gotten used to if you shoot it in the head it will probably die but the flood (laughs) they don't have heads (laughs) these weird like tentacle bug well that's the thing is the tentacle bug creatures are the ones controlling them so you actually have to aim for wherever on their body that is and if you're running up behind one you won't see it so you have to wait until they turn around to be able to take your pistol or your assault rifle or whatever and shoot them right in that spot to get that get that one shot kill Mm. I actually didn't figure in that general, out. In general, though, can, can we can we agree that the flood overall are less interesting to fight than the covenant? 
because I agree yes, that yes, there, yes, are, yes. there are nuances, you know, in in the way you approach them. But in general, it felt like there were they were a flood. Like I would be attacked by heaps of enemies. But often, what I'd be doing is going into a corridor and shooting my shotgun over and over again as they ran at me one by one, or I'd throw a grenade in the middle of them and, you know, I'd kill them all in a chain reaction. Whereas with the Covenant, I've never felt I could do that. I never felt I could just... Um, so tactically, I think that the it was good that the Flood were introduced because they increased the gameplay diversity overall, but they're no match for the Covenant. Fighting the Covenant was always a lot more... I think it's incorrect to consider the Flood, like, in terms of individual enemies. Like, they're one entity trying to kill you, um, and it's like, instead of having these tactical one-on-one battles against the Covenant, you're fighting this, you know, effectively a zombie horde that's coming towards you constantly. There's a lot of kiting and a lot of trying not to get trapped in corners and um, trying to make sure you're conserving ammo and taking out the biggest ones. Um, I think the gameplay, I think that it's more correct to consider them uh, a singular enemy as a whole, almost. Yeah, like, I remember missions where I would fight the Flood, where I literally would, like, I would run back for, like, a quarter of the map trying to get them to leave me alone so I could run back up to them and attack them again because they would overwhelm you without even trying it. But that's the thing. I I don't think running endlessly backwards is actually interesting gameplay. What The the thing I liked about fighting the Covenant is that the, um, the AI of the elites was that if you took down their shield... They go and hide so their shield comes back. It's such a small thing, but what it means is that you cannot afford to just sit behind cover or endlessly retreat when you're fighting elites. You need to take down their shield and then take your opportunity to go on the offensive. That's fantastic and interesting gameplay. Constantly backing up, emptying clip after clip of enemy into the flood until they finally all die, I just think it pales in comparison. I was just gonna say, and I think it goes back into what I mentioned earlier about flow, where like you, it's not necessarily that like you know the flow of battle, but you know that like you are familiar with your guns. You know that like this is when I have to strike, or else I'm gonna miss my chance. You mentioned elites. I think elites are actually the most, the hardest enemy to fight in the game. Um, there are these like heavier enemies, the hunters, but I think they're a lot easier to kill than the elites are because they um, move a lot slower mm. and they have a lot of you know, one-hit kill points on their body, which if you're smart, you can get to before they see you. The elites, however, duck and they weave. You know that animation where they, like, duck down and sidestep out of your gunfire and they throw grenades and they, like, take cover to let their shields regenerate? I thought they were really... They, they dodge your grenades yeah, as well. Yeah, they do. I thought they were really fun. I actually found um the easiest way to take them out was... um. If you throw a grenade in their direction um, and then take a pistol out and take pot shots at them, because the guns in this game have great feedback because they do a lot of like mini hit stun when you hit enemies. So I would just kind of like keep an enemy locked in place and wait for the grenade to explode to take it out a lot of the time. Actually, if you don't mind, I'd like to jump in again to talk about like how good Bungie handled making this game for Xbox and the limitations because... There, there are a few elements of how they made those shots connect that, like, you don't have a keyboard and mouse. You don't have that, like, trigger finger, like, I know to move my cursor right here. You have to deal with the joysticks. So they actually had to go out of their way to make it, like, 
you have basically controller drag, which is every time your cursor's over the enemy, it'll actually slow down a mm. little bit to give you a little extra time to react. And then when you shoot, if like your cursor is on the enemy, even if it's not directly on their head, as long as it's red, it will connect. It will try to connect with that part of their body and put the bullet there. And then they also had um, a little bit of auto aim. It would just kind of like, if you're moving across and the enemy is right there, it would kind of like try to bring you just down to where it was. Like they had to add these subtle things that like rewarded you for being good at the game, but also made it bearable to play when you only have two joysticks to use to move yourself around to look at things. See, and see Cameron, sorry, I'm just going to jump in here because I have a very particular stance on using a controller to play an FPS. And basically I hate it. I would literally <laughs> never choose to use a controller to play an FPS. I think auto aim is terrible. I think all those things you describe makes me sick to my stomach. <laughs> I don't want the game to be aiming for me. I want to be you I want to be aiming myself with a mouse and keyboard. I think a mouse and keyboard offers a far superior experience. I've You're told right. James I refuse to play shooters with the controller and I never will. So all those things you're describing just make me feel uneasy. I don't want the game. Have you to ever aim. played a console thing... shooter without aim assistance? It is a miserable experience. Hang on, I, I I feel like I need to respond to this. Of course. <laughs> yeah, no, I love playing PC. Like I play CS:GO, I play Overwatch, I play like any any hair trigger game. You definitely want to be playing with a mouse. But the real thing I was trying to get at is just this was a launch title for a controller based console. And the subtle things they had to do to make you feel like you were getting the same kind of reward and experience from an actual mouse and keyboard game console, but they wouldn't let you do that. That was a big part of what I, I think was really novel about their approach. And there's actually, let me know when we can get to the discussing the stage design, because that is another thing. Like there's so many subtleties about how they made the game based on the limitations of not just like the console hardware, but also PC hardware at the time that like, as much as like we want to gripe that like you can't you you have to use mouse and keyboard you have to do this and that like there are just certain things that like they knew that they had this limitation and they didn't try to please both parties they're like we're going to cut this out because it's easier for us to focus on this audience and have it translate better over to pc than it is for us to try and make both people happy yeah no um do you have an example of that i'm quite interested to hear yeah, it goes back to exactly like vehicle mechanics. Like, have you tried driving around with a mouse and keyboard? It's awkward as hell. It's just awkward. Yes. Having a controller that lets you subtly switch between driving a car and shooting a rocket or shooting a tank rounds and then like jump out and be able to then take out your assault rifle and shoot all the guys right next to you. Like being able to switch between those two without having to rethink like, all right, my hand positions like this for cars. And my mouse is janky because like every time I move it too far to the left or right, I can't move. Like they give you that. But then they also are like, they acknowledge that like some people, when they look left and right, they don't move as slowly as each other. So they have mouse sensitivity. They have the ability for you to control how hard pushing to left or right on the joystick actually is. And by extension, they take elements from how you use mice to how they played the game. So like in um, there's a concept of acceleration where if you move the mouse really fast, your cursor will move much more quickly than if you move the mouse slowly. The same thing was true for the joystick. If you're like right on an elite's head and you're just trying to nudge it just a little bit, it'll be a lot more sensitive than if you like smack the whole thing to the left and try to spin around mm. to shoot someone behind you. And listen, if you enjoy playing this game with a controller, all power to you. I'm just saying that 
playing shooters, particularly first-person shooters on mouse and keyboard, is the far superior way of enjoying this game, in oh my, my opinion. Oh, my God, Patrick. <laughs> I, 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 agree that, I agree that when it comes to vehicle controls, it is true that that is more comfortable on a controller. But the truth of the matter is I would rather play 90% of this game with mouse and keyboard and then have the 10% of awkwardness while I'm driving the vehicle than touch a shooter with a controller ever again. Ugh. Well, On December 3rd, you'll have that chance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you mentioned levels before. I kind of wanted to talk about the level design because I think this is a part of the game that's actually um, a mixed bag of sorts. I think there's some really good levels in this game. And then there are some others that don't quite hit the mark for me. And one of the examples of those is um, actually my favorite and least favorite level is the same level, um, which is there's this big level what? out in the snow. Um, which Oh my god, I love that one. No, no, no. <laughs> okay, so, so half of this level are these really cool battles out in the open against um, uh, Covenant forces with vehicles and turrets and you're using a sniper rifle and you've got allies with you. It's really awesome. It's like my favorite part of the game are these big large-scale battles. And then there's this bit in the middle section where you're going through these corridors into these circular rooms, and then you go through another corridor into another circular room, and then you go through another corridor into another circular room, <laughs> and then you go through another corridor, and it goes for, like, there's, like, ten of these rooms in the game. And then once you finally get through all of those, you do some more story stuff, and then you have to backtrack through those same rooms. So you spend, like, a good, like, hour or two in these, like, same-looking corridors, which... For me, definitely. So the missions you're, you're describing, James, are Assault on the Control Room, which is the snow level, and then later on in the game is the mission Two Betrayals, where you do the entire mission in, in the same rooms in reverse. Yes, yeah. Um, it's weird. This, uh, this level has some of the best gameplay and some of the most repetitive, I thought. That's, okay, so, like, there's, like, a bigger thematic thing about Halo that, like, I know I'm like being a super fanboy about this, but like this goes back to when you think about when this game came out, they had such a huge limitation with how much they could fit on a disc. Yeah. Especially because this was like, they, they'd never really done this before. So they had spent so much time getting the game engine right and getting it into the game that they were like, we can't actually make a bunch of unique maps. So they actually do this really fun thematic thing where it's like a descent into hell where you you are familiar with these maps. Like you actually get familiar with pretty much I think like the first four or five maps you're going down into this like halo like what is the halo you're going down into the space and then you actually have to play those maps in reverse at the end to get out and so like you you've been there before you are familiar with the terrain but because they didn't have the space to put new maps they're just like we will make you play it backwards and make everything just subtly weird or awkward or add like a new vehicle component or something so that parts of the map that you experienced before or that you didn't experience before are now accessible thanks to like now you have a banshee to fly up to these specific areas or now this entire map is upside down because it's in a spaceship and the spaceship crashed and we have to go deal with this and so like on the one hand yeah it's like why did i have to deal with these 10 circular rooms over and over again but on the <laughs> other hand it's like Here's an opportunity for them to get really creative with how they're going to introduce something that you're painfully familiar with. 
But I, I don't think it was that creative. Like, I'll give you that doing these missions in reverse, particularly two betrayals, doesn't feel too bad because of the, um, particularly because of the outdoor section. I agree with James that the indoor sections of these missions are just slight variations on the same room over and over again. And it's not the only time it happens either. I think Halo's at its best when it's throwing variety and different sort of room layouts and outside bits, different areas to take cover, different routes to approach these battles. That's that's when it succeeds. When it's just giving you the same battle in the same rooms against, you know, an elite, a few grunts, a few jackals over and over again, it does start to uh, lose its luster. So I, I think that I'm more on board with the reused assets because they at least tried to give it a different twist. But on a more micro level, these individual room layouts were a bit too repetitive for me. I actually like to jump in and ask. Yes. Like we talked about vehicle levels and we talked about vehicles and stuff. Mm. How did you feel? And this is a big spoiler. How did you feel about the finale of the game with the like you end up back on the Pillar of Autumn and everything's kind of janky and that whole vehicle section at the end? What do you think of that? You're talking about the final, the final section, the final race to not getting murdered. I love it. I, I think it's one of the best finales in video game history ever. It's brilliant. Yeah, I really liked it too. I especially liked it because um, it's the first time that you're driving the warthog, right? This, um, it's just like a mm-hmm. military car with a gun on the back. And previously, you've been driving this car over just flat terrain, but in this, like this instance, you're driving this car through this spaceship. And I don't, I don't, um, I don't buy that the spaceship has this much uh, racetrack kind of throughout it. <laughs> but um, well, it does in this game, um, and the racetrack almost because for some like you've been going through the spaceship and there's like all these corridors and like the layout makes sense and all of a sudden there's like this bit that looks designed specifically for a car to drive through for a good like ten minutes in a straight direction. Um, but there's all sorts of like jumps and dips and ups and downs and little like corners for this level that weren't present in any other level in the game. So it was a really good, you know, little set piece. Uh, and I had a lot of fun driving my car over these jumps and it made me feel really tense when I was like soaring over this gap and, you know, just making the jumps constantly. Cause obviously, um, if you're going at max speed, the developers have made these jumps to be the exact width that you just like barely get onto them every time. And it really works for me. And that's like the, that's one of the things I like, I just want to go back to like how the developers built this is like, they're, found a way to like gradually like this is how you start the game and this is how you get used to a vehicle and this is how you get used to the covenant and then they turn on their head all right now there's the flood this is how you get used to the flood this is how you get used to this bigger thing and now we're going to mix like the covenant and the flood all right now this is how you get used to like running up on covenant and flood fighting each other and this and that and so they're always finding like little i I don't know it's definitely me fanboying but it's just like that race at the end is just like you thought several times throughout the game. There's nothing new I'm going to see. I've fought the covenant. Oh, now there's a flood. Now I've fought the flood. Now there's nothing else. Oh, now I'm fighting the flood and the covenant. <laughs> I've fought both of them. There's nothing else. We're going to drive on the back of this spaceship for 10 whole minutes and do backflips <laughs> and try not to get murdered and escape. And it's just it's 
I think it gets it was, me every time. It was a great way to end the game. And I actually want to go back to the bit you said before about fighting all the different factions. Because, you know, there's yourself and there's the Flood and there's the Covenant. And there's actually the fourth faction, which is the Sentinels, which are like... Yeah, I forgot about them. <laughs> yeah, like the AI that controls the ring has its own, like, robotic laser robots. And there's all these battles that contain all three three or four factions at the same time. And I, one of the things I really like about games is when they convince the player that they're, like, cheating somehow or they're doing something kind of nefarious or playing the game in a way that's, um, you know, not intended. And I find that when you get into the, one of these multi-faction battles, it's always, like, in your best interest to kind of, like, make sure that the factions have equal numbers for as long as possible and to try and, like, not directly engage in the fight but just let them take each other out by, you know, uh, strategically picking off um, factions that are getting too strong. And I find that kind of gameplay really fun. Oh, can I can I jump in here? You just said play the game is not intended, and I need to share an experience I just had while playing this game because I nearly tore my hair out. There's this <laughs> section on assaults on the control room or two betrayals. I think it's two betrayals where there's these two bridges in parallel, and uh, yeah. this is this is actually that section you're talking about where you were going through samey rooms. Yeah, because what you're meant to do is you're meant to go up one bridge through the doors, loop around, uh, enter the bridge from the, op you know, the second bridge from the opposite end and come all the way back. So because I love grenade jumping and jumping and trying to break games in general, I, of course, figured out how to jump from one bridge to the other. <laughs> and uh, in doing so, I softlocked my game because the oh, way no. Halo's checkpointing and scripting works is that Every time you like pass a new checkpoint, it kind of loads the next area. And what I ended up doing was I got too far ahead, loaded a checkpoint um, that was, you know, without loading the previous checkpoint. So the door was locked behind me and the door was locked ahead of me. And so oh. I had to restart the entire mission because I was... Uh, being creative and playing the game how they didn't want me to play it it's rarely an issue but um it is it is funny how the heavier scripting in this mission compared to something like quake which lets you break the level to your heart's content with rocket jumps and the like uh did did rear its nasty head Patrick found himself in a parallel universe <laughs> where all the doors were locked. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and there were no enemies either because, you know, no enemies have been loaded in for those four rooms. So it took mm. me a while to figure out what had happened. I could have sworn there were like a few times where like I remember playing it on Xbox and something like that would happen where we would try to get really clever. And mm. I remember if you could just like restart it from that checkpoint, it would like figure itself out because it knew where you were supposed to be and then it would know to load things in. Unfortunately, it I didn't. That's something because I tried everything. Because oh. I was about an hour and a half no in that mission when it happened. <laughs> <laughs> that was something I wanted to bring up too, actually, while we're talking about the checkpoints. Previously, in a lot of the old games we've been playing, um, they have this problem where they don't really have a checkpointing system. You just kind of expect it to like quick save at certain points and not be super abusive about it but this game has set checkpoints and no quick saving and i really liked that because it forced me to like play each section properly 
um, and not like get frustrated and hit that F5 button. <laughs> um, and there were a few sections where I got stuck at for a while and, you know, actually um, accomplishing this through sheer force of will and strategy really, you know, made me appreciate all that effort I'd gone to. It was really fun. I definitely agree with that because I think it goes back to the thing I said earlier about how they wanted you to experiment and yeah you definitely aren't going to just get be able to like quick save here and then just constantly pick up new guns until you get through it's like you need to figure out what's going to work for you for this section and again like you have the shield and you have the health pack and they want to give you like they want to give you the tools for you to make your own pie in this kitchen of halo violence yeah and all the tools are really fun to use um a special shout out to the needler as being one of the most fun <laughs> weapons in any first person shooter why do you guys played. have such terrible I taste that in weapon. fps weapons first cameron with the assault what? rifle and now james with the needler come on needler guys is... the needler is sweet how can you it's not like, like the, the meanest, needler it's so it's like cool. the meanest weapon i've ever seen in a game because what it does is like and the way it... you have to like live with the fact that you're gonna die for those of you who aren't familiar the needler is this weapon that shoots out these really small um, pink homing uh, needles, as the name suggests. And as you, as the needles like stick into an enemy, um, like they stick in and stick in and stick in until like your enemy is just a pink pincushion. And after a while of not getting hit by needlers, they explode. And I think the damage goes up exponentially mm -hmm. the more needles you've got stuck in. So you mm -hmm. kind of want to like stick them with like 30 needles and then they just all explode. So you can use, cause it's like, like it's got like a homing weapon. Um, and it shoots rapidly you can kind of like stand back and take people out from a distance but if you don't like put enough needles in them at once it won't kill them so you gotta really make sure you're filling them up so the best weapon combo in the game is the pistol plus the shotgun and i mean everything else it do doesn't stand up to it and the needler certainly doesn't stand up to it the needler is the funnest gun in the game i love it it's so unique and my favorite thing about it is its reload animation <laughs> is just like, it's got the funny sound effect and it, it looks like a porcupine and like the porcupine spikes on your arm disappear as you shoot mm -hmm. them. And then when you reload, they just like shoot up and they make this puff sound. Uh, I think it's really funny. I like it. Maybe and it's then... because I was playing on legendary, but I found that I didn't have time to stick enough needles in elites because I would get hit with a jackal's plasma, you know, pistol shot, or you know, the the uh, enemies fire a lot faster on legendary. So I would get gunned down if I dared move out of cover for very long. So it just felt clunky and awkward to me. I agree that the reload animation looks cool. Really, is that how hard legendary is? Because I found that you can stay out of cover the majority of the time on heroic and be okay. Because uh, the legendary, yeah, it must be. I really don't like when you're forced to like stand behind a wall uh, for the majority of a game when playing a shooter. I like running around and jumping and um, just going ham. You got to be patient. The AI is too smart for you in legendary. Like they don't miss a lot yeah. of the time. And you'd think they would miss with like the plasma rifle, but they do not miss. You die super fast, and they they shoot their guns super fast. Like even grunts are a threat on um on legendary. Hmm. Honestly, the thing that surprised me was how dangerous jackals were because I've played a lot of Halo Two as well, and you know I don't know if you've played Halo Two Legendary, but the thing that's famous about them are the jackal snipers where you'll die from half the map away just from mm -hmm. a random stray shot. 
But I swear, these jackals mm-hmm. with their plasma pistols, I can see why they turned them into snipers. Because <laughs> I got hit by a lot of long-range uh, plasma shots. Because when I played, every time I saw a jackal, you just kind of pull the pistol out and um, shoot that little hole on the shield where their hand is, and they die in, like, well, like two or three hits. Yeah, well, that's the thing, though, is, like, the like every character, every enemy in the game has their like special mechanics of like the mm-hmm. uh, the jackals will get more creative and more protective in legendary mode and grunts are less enthusiastic about running straight at you in um legendary and the, the elites are like dodging back and forth constantly and trying to wait for their moment to get you so it goes back into that flow discussion but i would like to add how do you all feel about the melee mechanics in in halo I never really used it, honestly. Every time I... Because I'd constantly use the pistol, and I'd find that... um, Because the pistol is, like, the greatest pistol in any game ever, right? This thing's a beast. Mm. So I was using it every chance I could. Um, It's a pistol that has, like, a zoom-in function and does a huge amount of damage. But every time you melee, he does this little animation where he, like, throws the gun up in the air and catches it after flipping it, and that just, like, takes too long for me. I either had to melee and then switch weapons to cancel that animation or just not do it entirely so i tried to avoid doing it unless i was in a real rough so for me in general i like the idea behind it because the idea is that uh backstabs uh, are lethal against enemy Mm. elites which is which is a really cool thing particularly because you can bait the elites into doing a melee hit on you and then you can sneak around behind them but on legendary difficulty, at least, I couldn't afford to have an elite get that into that sort of melee range because I'd just die to them shooting a million shots in my head. I found it was most useful against the hunters, um, you know, the guys with the big green plasma cannon things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would melee kill them like 100% of the time. And I really enjoyed the dance you do with the hunters in order to, you know, they do that big swing and it gives you time to get a couple of Actually, do you remember there was um, was it Truth and Reconciliation or no? There was there was one map where like half of the enemies for the entire map are asleep, and so you're actually rewarded for walking through it and beating all of them to death. I think that's assault on the control room. It's the snow mm-hmm. mission. So yeah, you, you they're like these mini stealth sections where you can take out all the grunts while they're sleeping. I actually didn't realize that um, hitting them from behind was a an instant kill. Um, I didn't realize that the entire time that I played. So I would always like walk up to those sleeping grunts and hit them, and then they just wake up and wake all their <laughs> friends up. It's actually a big part of the multiplayer. <laughs> was like uh, in all the different Halo iterations, there's always like um, you can have someone be like super OP and run around with like four levels of shield bars. But the entire point is like you either have to like all of you have to team up to get this guy's shields off and then kill him. Or you just run up behind him and, like, while he's distracted trying to kill one of you, you just punch him in the back. And in, like, later (laughs) games, they include more of a lunge mechanic. So when you melee, you don't just, like, smack them. You, like, kind of lunge at them, which um, helps compensate a little for this. But, yeah, like, I... When it came back to... I think it was... um, So one of you guys mentioned something about um, wanting to run and gun. And I thought the melee, like, really... Yeah, that was me. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. So, James, I think that was a big thing about what made running and gunning, especially on the lower difficulties, like, way more fun, was, like, you could have the assault rifle and the pistol and melee attacks 
carry you through a lot of the normal gameplay if you were just trying to like run around and have fun. Actually, um, I really loved when you unlock the shotgun like halfway through the game because um, shotguns really play into what I like about shooters, which is like fast movement and just jumping around and getting close to things and blasting them to pieces. Um, I actually wish that um, a couple more weapons had been introduced later in the game because like when you first jump into this game like there's heaps of things to choose from the variety here is awesome like I love trying out all the different guns but they only introduce like one or two extra weapons later in the game so it starts to get it loses its luster a little bit. I wish maybe there had been one or two. I really wish you'd gotten to use the sword. I don't know if um, in other Halo games you can use the elite can. swords, mm. but um, yeah, you can. In, in awesome. General, yeah. because, um, problems with the weapon balance here is that I think there are six human weapons, but there are like two, two. No, there's three Covenant weapons. So there's an imbalance, right? There's heaps of different human weaponry, but there's only three weapons. So from Halo 2 onwards, it gets a lot more balanced and you get a lot more decent variety in weapon choices. But yeah, in Halo 1, it's a lot more limited. Yeah, so we've been going for a little while again, so I think it's time for another music break. Let's not beat around the bush this time and, you know, just go into the main theme of Halo, which, you know, we've all been waiting to hear. So here's the main theme. in the pc version mm-hmm. you could also use um at some point you run into these guys but there's like some grunts who have like fuel rod cannons yes that are like they're the the covenant version of a bazooka and those are yeah. the, they're like they're not as powerful as the human rocket launcher but they have five shots in them instead of um just two so like they're a little more versatile so you can't actually use it in the campaign but it's but- available in the multiplayer yeah yeah, it's in the multiplayer, but you can't. There's no spots where you can really use that in the uh, single player. They're in the single player, but if you kill the grunts that are holding them, the gun explodes yeah. um, and takes out everything around it. Which I was disappointed by. I was really wanted to use it. I thought it would have been really. I fun. appreciated that it killed the elites. So I was like, "Thank God." <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like there's something else I wanted to talk about. Those like quintessential Halo 
have you guys experienced any of the like real Halo multiplayer? I know, I think, um, Patrick, you said that you'd done LAN parties. Yeah, the the truth is on this show, we generally don't dive into the multiplayer because, uh, you know, we haven't played it for so long. But I'd be happy mm-hmm. to chat about it for a bit if uh, if you'd like, James. Yeah, sure. I did manage to play a bit of it at school, um, but it's been a <laughs> while. I just remember trying to find the pistol whenever I could and just um, hiding out on the, or hiding out on the side of Blood Gulch with snipers. When it came to the multiplayer, there was, I, I mentioned before how like there is like this fun modding and stuff, but I think one of the things I'm really hoping, especially after this next re-release of Halo, which I don't know if you'll count that towards your, it being retrospective if they're releasing <laughs> one in like a few weeks, but back then in 2001, the internet was not really that great. So you could play online if you wanted to but it was the absolute worst because whoever was the host server for the game had the best ping yeah would just murder you correct and so like but when but the thing that was mind-blowing to me about halo wasn't actually the like competitive multiplayer it was the co-op multiplayer because like if you had two controllers and a buddy you guys could run legendary together. You were like a little squad of super murderers running around killing all these dudes on the same on the same TV. Like it wasn't like we had to both own an Xbox and a copy of Halo and our own TVs. It was like, you come over to my place, we're gonna play Halo all day. I'll bring the Mountain Dew. You bring the Doritos. Let's party. That was definitely a very important part of the experience at the time. Although, like, unfortunately, I don't think uh, many people are going to get to experience that um, these days. Part of me believes, and I don't know if this is true or not, but I think that this game may have been designed primarily for co-op. There's these little hints you get, like right, right at the beginning of the game where you wake up from your pod, there's a second pod right next to yours. And I just think that playing uh, this game co-op, at at least on Legendary, I think it would go a long way to alleviating a lot of the, I guess, difficulty choke points I got stuck on. Being able to hit the Covenant from two different directions to effectively flank would be a really good way to deal with those tricky situations because flanking is not easy in this game. Uh, mm-hmm. You move quite slow in, in Halo compared to pretty much any FPS I can think of. So when you leave cover, there's no sprint or anything. If you want to try and flank an enemy, often you'll just be killed trying to run from one piece of cover to the other. And I just wonder if um, I wonder if they made this game as a co-op game first and foremost and then a single-player game afterwards. So you're definitely right in that there are lots of pieces of the campaign mode that lend themselves to co-op so yeah they're like certain small thematic things but then there's like the warthog is in the original halo you can only drive it like in later games the ais are able to drive it and you get to use Mm -hmm. the gunner but like the fact that there's a gunner on it and you someone else can jump in and use it is really helpful in a lot of sections and then less with the scorpion the big tank because you have to sit on the outside of that and so you're just (laughs) vulnerable the whole time so that's that's a bad deal for both of you um there's but almost there's always like... two banshees in the locations hmm. where wherever there are banshees, stuff like that. And then there's also just like flanking jackals or mm-hmm. being able to split a wave of flood or have like, I actually remember, I don't remember if my little brother remembers this quite as pleasantly, but 
there were like lots of times where like he would just want to hang back and like take pot shots with a plasma pistol well, I would run up and just, like, fly into the fray of, like, fighting the different elites and stuff. So there were moments where, like, you really get good at one of you would lob plasma pistol rounds at the elites while the other one of you was pulling focus fire and actually trying to take them down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd like to, I, I kind of want to play this game on Legendary Co-op just to just to get a feel of it because I, I never, you know, was playing on that de- difficulty when I was 10 years old. But I think I could get a lot of enjoyment out of it because there were times playing this game where I felt very trapped and, you know, I felt like I had to land perfect grenades in order to get through spots. So having a co-op partner to help I guess elevate the the tactics would have would have been wonderful. I think something that um, popped up in my mind is I think um, graphically one of the things that's helped this game stay looking pretty decent is the enemy designs in this game are all extremely distinct and look really cool. I think um, even now, like the covenants designs and some of the flood, even just really pop out to you from the little grunts that act all cowardly and scream constantly and look like they don't look menacing at all they all look kind of goofy to the like the elites look genuinely kind of terrifying Bungie did an excellent job when designing each of the enemies in this game actually um something fun to think about is Bungie when they moved to i think when they moved to seattle to help with like make this for microsoft that a lot of the like vistas and ambiance of the game is kind of pulled from how um just like the seattle landscape and the natural splendor of the area is and so like there will be lots of moments where you're more or less rewarded just for hanging out and looking at just look at the ring kind of going off into infinity Mm -hmm. and looking around you and likewise because every character every enemy kind of is so distinct you actually like it's not just like they're walking back and forth it's like if you pay attention, like elites are trying to like always goof on or scare grunts and like hunters are just kind of like hanging out together, doing their own thing. It's like, there's, it seems like there's distinctive, like you can't understand the language, but there's subtle little interactions that you're rewarded for not immediately going up to and murdering them for. Yeah. This, this game looks fantastic. Uh, You know, the other week when we were doing the call of duty episode, I praised it for its visual clarity Halo is a masterclass in visual clarity. Halo does that a much better than Call of Duty does. Yeah, no, no, no. See, James, I know you disagree <laughs> with me about Call of Duty, and I'm saying I agree. <laughs> I think I think Halo is probably one of the best examples even today on, on how to have your enemies distinct from the environment. I love how all the enemies are color-coded. So you can, you know, assign them different threat levels depending on if there are, you know, a blue, red, gold, or silver elite. They, they're all, you know, different levels of danger. And you, the thing is you need that because the gameplay is so tactical with you assessing threat levels. To have that also clear to you is wonderful. So, yeah, I, I completely agree about the visuals. The, actually, the other thing I want to mention was how intuitive they kind of made the HUD and everything. Like, a lot of other games, they try to tell you, like, you have these three guns, and they have this much ammo, and you have this many shields, and you have this much extra equipment in your inventory. And they're trying to tell you all this while you're dealing with enemies on the screen. This one was, like, super, like, Halo, the the HUD is super unobtrusive at the top. Or, no, I think later they move it to the top. But in Combat Evolved, the HUD shows you, like, on the top right, 
is your shields and right underneath it is like the little tickers for your health and then the top left is how many total bullets you have and then like a visual representations of how many bullets are left in the clip how many grenades and then on the bottom left is this like small radial wheel that it doesn't like show you the topographical layout of the map it just shows you like a red dot where an enemy might be in proximity to you and that's all the information you need to run around and play halo like you don't you don't need to know what's in your inventory you know what you're well you know what you got you've only ever got two guns so yeah this game does an excellent job of communicating information to the player and i think um the sound design in particular is really good at this every weapon sounds very distinct and every enemy has its own voice sounds and way of walking it's really easy to tell what's around you and what's shooting based on you know audio information alone and i found that helped a lot when i was like in these big battles actually so something i think that the the assault rifle is supposed to communicate to you but it's like you guys mentioned it's kind of hard to like appreciate is the assault rifle is actually supposed to be kind of good against a lot of the covenant vehicles so like if you're dealing with um uh what are they the ghosts really? yeah if you're dealing with ghosts and banshees and like they're big so they fit within the target reticle even though the target reticle for uh assault rifles is really big if you are being harassed by ghosts if you lay into them with the assault rifle you will get them i don't have yeah. time for that <laughs> yeah i guess plasma grenades yeah, are you always had like a rocket launcher or a sniper rifle in those sections with the ghosts because the ghosts only appear and the ghosts are these little um hover vehicles that shoot around and have their own mounted weapons um and they only appear in these big open areas so you usually have access to longer range weapons like the sniper rifle or the um rocket launcher so you generally have a bet. I feel like you have a better way of dealing with these than the um, the assault rifle, and these are definitely my favorite part of the game. Um, was the first time you walk out on this huge battlefield filled with Covenant tanks and banshees and all sorts of Marines trying to take cover and fire back and forth, um, and just picking up a sniper rifle and trying to control the flow of battle from up on a hill. Yeah, and like oh, yeah. you said, it's gorgeous, right? Because not only is there the big open landscape, but above your head you see the halo ring like curving up on either side. It um, mm. it's a it's a gorgeous skybox. So that satisfying moment. I don't know if you guys tinkered with this a lot, but like you can snipe someone out of pretty much every vehicle. Mm-hmm. So like that satisfying moment when you manage to snipe an elite out of like a banshee, yeah, or. Well, you can yeah. definitely do them out of ghosts, and I think at some point, if you do enough damage, you can get them out of wraiths too. And oh, that, like, that just satisfying moment. I, I didn't know that. Like the big tanks, yeah. I don't. Yeah, I don't remember if that was a Halo Two thing or Halo One thing. I'm pretty sure you could do that in Halo One, but like you, the implication was every vehicle in the game is something for you to enjoy and interact with, and if you can get them out of the vehicle, like there are moments where you'll run into an area. And no one's actually in their vehicles yet, so you can take pot shots with a sniper rifle and kill the pilots before they even get into the ghosts and into the different vehicles so that you can then run over and grab them and go do whatever you're going to do with them. Oh yeah, so so that brings up an interesting strategic point, because this was something that I started to do more as I played the game, which is there were sections of this game where I was not engaged in the enemies, I was stealthing or avoiding them or running past them uh, in order to get to the next objective. Because Halo doesn't require you to kill everyone, it just requires you to get to the next checkpoint. 
And on Legendary, I found some battles were easier not taken. And like you said, there was one moment where um, instead of being in this long battle, I managed to use grenades to create distractions, quickly took out the potential pilot and jumped in a banshee before they could. Did, <laughs> did you guys ever use that strategy, just like oh, yeah. not fighting enemies, avoiding them? Yeah, all the time. Like um, There was this, the assault on the control room where you exit out on that bridge and you can see the entrance to the control room on the left. Mm. I just sprinted through and grabbed a banshee and flew on over there instead of going through the tunnels to get to the side. And I think there's a way you can actually jump, and if you land perfectly on the spire, you'll also be able to like just land there. You don't actually have to... Yeah. I think... I don't remember if you die from fall damage or if you just take a ton of it, but... There's, um, there's a famous sure. skip, yeah. You know how I said the uh, checkpointing can be a bit balked? Well, Assault mm -hmm. on the Control Room has a specific place you can jump down, and it breaks the level, like... Uh, it basically kills all like none of the enemies load for the rest of the level but there are no doors that that lock shut behind you so you're able to just walk to the end of the level in the four minutes it takes you and the level ends and that's just like i mean that's the thing is like if you're asking me how halo holds up in my mind like tinkering with it playing around with it remembering my old days excited about the new stuff like Halo was one of those games that I was blown away by because normally when you play shooters, there's like not really a lot of replay value once you play through the like campaign. But I I am absolutely confident that if you gave me an Xbox and a copy of Halo right now, I could lose my entire Saturday to Halo. We haven't really gone in depth in the music. If you guys want to talk about that a bit, Anthem Two: Saving the World is a banger, and it is still a banger. So I was going to ask about that because. That's that anthem to saving the world. It's like a electric guitar, you know, rock version of a section of the main Halo theme, right? Like, there's a song called hmm. Halo that has that same sort of like da 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 da, you know, with the drums going and the hmm. the deep the deep cellos playing and everything. Um, and you prefer the anthem version because I just prefer the more classical version, I guess. When you're in the level and that rock anthem to saving the world comes on, you're like, this is what being a hero feels like. This is like you knowing that your actions are what are going to determine the outcome of the situation and mm -hmm. no one else is, no one else matters. It's you. You, Mr. Patrick Arthur, are the, the man who is going to save the universe from the destruction of the flood. Yeah, it wasn't until I got locked behind those the doors. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's like Martin O'Donnell, like, he had this incredible problem, which was, how do you make this futuristic game sound futuristic while also having like these deeply spiritual feelings? Because like the Covenant are a religious group. This is like a religious experience that this enemy faction is undergoing to find a Halo. Like Halos are religious. So they have to like get in the monks. Like when you load the game, the first thing you hear is monks doing the Halo theme and the like deep verbal vocals it's like it's like a religious chorus at like some sort of service and to to be totally fair though if you didn't get that like when you read the books and anything else like it is vastly clear that the covenant are on like a super holy journey and that actually what you don't know is halo the events of halo take a place a few years into the covenant human war which is like an entire war where like the covenant basically just showed up and we're like humans need to be eradicated and just 
indiscriminately start murdering people. And that that is like the first few years of the war that lead up to the events of this game. And unless you read the books, there's nothing about this game that would convey that information to you because everything feels so isolated to Halo. Uh, I reckon I I love the music in this game. And, you know, interspersed in between these, I guess, orchestral and drum-based tracks, there is ambient stuff as well. It's not a um, a one-trick pony. Like uh, when you're doing that 343 Guilty Spark mission, there's a lot more kind of spooky music, I guess you'd call it. Mm-hmm. Um, overall, I think it's probably the second best FPS soundtrack of all time. I'd uh, put it just behind Hans Zimmer's one from uh, Call of Duty: Modern Warfare Two, but it, it's superb. It's uh, it's got a lot of lot of excellent tracks. The um, the other one I wanted to mention was "On a Pale Horse." I, I like that one quite mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. So we've been gas bagging for ages now, so uh, we'll take a quick music break. Uh, This is probably, listen, I won't say it's my favorite track from Halo because the truth is Halo, the main track, is also my favorite. But um, this is my second favorite and it's On a Pale Horse. So enjoy. That was On a Pale Horse, one of the better tracks in the game, of which there are many because it is a great soundtrack. Um, So I guess this brings us to, you know, conclusions. Um, I think it's been pretty unanimous so far that Halo is a pretty great game. Um, So, you know, let's start off with you, Patrick. Would you, do you think Halo's held up over the years? Would you recommend it to a new player of the series? I would recommend Halo. Um, I was struggling a lot with this game when I first started playing it, and I was getting very frustrated. And, you know, it's partially my fault for jumping straight into Legendary. But the more I played and the more I realized what sort of gameplay that Halo was demanding of me, um, I started to enjoy it a lot more. I I got to that uh, get good stage. Um, (laughs) I do think there are some problems with the interior level design getting very repetitive. And I think that the reused assets mean that as you move towards the end of the game and you're fighting the flood and you're in these repetitive indoor areas, that that kind of lull before the final apex in the um, in the moor, I think the game does become a bit weaker from its opening moments. But overall, Halo is excellent. I love its tactical take, take on gameplay. I love the way you fight the Covenant. I think the story is actually really good. You know, the dialogue, etc., is whatever, but the main story beats are strong. 
and it's got one of the best soundtracks of any FPS game I've ever played. Um, this was a fantastic game to go back and visit, and I highly recommend. Yeah, um, I completely agree with Patrick. I think um, Halo is definitely one of my favorite shooters. I really enjoy the tactical feel and the kind of de-emphasized um, nature of the aiming. One of the things that's especially gripping is just the world and the lore um, that kind of surrounds everything that you do. The enemy designs in this game are some of the best in any game I've ever played. The enemy and weapon variety, you know, go hand in hand to make a wonderfully creative and experimental gameplay experience that I don't feel like many other shooters do, honestly, and I really appreciated that. The story's great, the music is excellent, and it still looks pretty good to this day. So yeah, big thumbs up for me. I really liked Halo. As for me, I think you all know I'm extremely biased, but I <laughs> am a big fan. And I think you guys hit all the points, man. The music, the level design could be better, but at the same time, like I, I don't think I'd ever have trouble going back and playing through all of this over and over again. And legit, like I'm now that I know December 3rd, Halo Master Chief Collection is coming to PC in like whatever waves is going to i am super jazzed to get it just so that i can play it with my brother or with my girlfriend or whoever it was a game that was so good that it made me hungry for not just like more halo games just like more halo like you i think uh, james you said perfectly mm. which was the the lore draws you in and you want to learn more you want to know why these characters are motivated to do this and what is a halo and they give you just enough so that you feel satisfied with the game, but also just so hungry to get more. Yeah, I know um, I definitely consulted Wikipedia or the wiki um, <laughs> many times throughout my experience with this. And, um, you know, I've never actually played Halo 2 or 3, so I'm actually sh for certain that we're going to be touching those in this show at some point in the future. So, yeah. All three of us think Halo is an absolutely great experience. If you guys have never played it before, I definitely think you should um, give this one a crack. It's certainly the most iconic game on the original Xbox and still a great title on PC as well. Thank you, everyone, who's listened to this episode today. We appreciate you sticking with us as we rambled onwards. But an even bigger thank you goes to uh, Cameron Buzajamari. I, I swear I'm doing my best with that last name, man, <laughs> who, uh, who has extended his hand to join us on our humble podcast. Um, Cameron's the host of the Sweating the Small Stuff podcast, and it is a fantastic show that you should definitely check out. If you're a geek, and let's be honest, if you're listening to us, you uh, must be something of a geek. It is a really, really fun and funny show. Yeah, thank you so much, Patrick. I am just, I, I'm a huge fan of what you guys are doing here, and I imagine a lot of your fans like to quote unquote sweat the small stuff about video games. And that's a lot of what we get to on my show, like just exploring science stories, misconceptions behind all sorts of things. Like we did a really interesting episode recently where we had a physics professor interview or we interviewed a physics professor about the physics of superheroes and all sorts of different things about your favorite movies and pop culture moments. And so. If you want to check out our stuff, smallstuff.show, all of our stuff's there, social medias, latest episodes, feel free to give a listen and subscribe. But more importantly, if you haven't already, I hope you're subscribed to this podcast, and I really hope that you go and find your friends who love video games and share the Retrospectives podcast with them, because, man, Patrick, 
James, you guys, I love, I love your work. <laughs> I really like what you guys have been doing. So please keep up the awesome work. Can't wait to hear what comes next. And thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, it's been our pleasure. Yeah, it's been really fun. Um, I enjoy it. I, I, I always enjoy taking on a fanboy at his favorite game. <laughs> I think we got some civil discussion out of this, but yeah. Unfortunately, so. yes, we Unfortunately, did. Unfortunately, yes. Patrick has been on his best behavior this episode with only a minor outburst about controllers and fps but um i'm sure he'll be back in full force next episode and it's you guys are rspodcast.net right god you're even doing our website for us that's very generous we are indeed (laughs) like that's how i yeah i like to subscribe to you guys too but not everyone can subscribe not everyone's already on the subscription trail so yeah small stuff that show for swaying the small stuff and retrospectives at rspodcast.net oh patrick i'm gonna have to replace you (laughs) (laughs) cameron's doing a much better job than i am i'm normally a lot more awkward I, I i always forget the order to do it as well so cheers cameron we'll have you on for every show in the future just for, just for the down. plugs at the end <laughs> <laughs> okay so once again thanks everyone for listening uh thanks for putting up with our plugging uh thank you once again to cameron for uh, being with us today james what what are we doing next fortnight what nonsense game are we are we going are we doing well, as we've all learned, Patrick always chooses very safe and, you know, predictable games, so I have to do God's work by picking, you know, actually fun games to play. Although he did have a um he did have an off season this week in picking an actually good game. Actually no, I'm sorry. Cameron picked a good game this week. That's true, he did. <laughs> it wasn't even me. I can't take credit for this um, one. Yeah, so, well, I guess it means we get to skip a Patrick episode, which is always good. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So next week, we'll be playing a game called Beautiful Joe, um, originally released on the GameCube by the people who are now known as Platinum Games. They were originally called Clover Studios, and I think before that, something else. But it's a side-scrolling beat-em-up with a very unique art style um, that I'm very interested in getting into. I actually had a lot of trouble deciding on what game to play this week, but I've had this one on the back burner for a while, and I think it's time we try to, you know, a, a side-scrolling beat-em-up, which is something we haven't touched on the show yet. Well, I don't know anything about this beautiful Joe game, but I am a big fan of Devil May Cry and Bayonetta and the later games made by Platinum Games. So maybe, just maybe, it'll be a game worth playing. But with James' record so far, I'm not Oh too my hope. God. <laughs> uh, we will see you in a fortnight for beautiful Joe. Adios, amigos. See you guys. Bye. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Retrospectives podcast. I thought I was great on it, and I thought they were pretty good too. If you want to get in touch with them or find more of their stuff, I highly recommend you check out their website, rspodcast.net. That's the letter R, the letter S, podcast.net. As for us at Sweating the Small Stuff, you can still find all of our stuff at smallstuff.show. We really hope you'll go over there to check out some of our old stuff and get excited for a lot of the new stuff we've been working on. Till then, I've been your host. I I guess today I was just the co-host. Cameron Buzard-Jumeri, reminding you from movies to media to the classic video game Halo Combat Evolved. It's details like these that make it worth sweating the small stuff. Mm-hmm.